Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God again. We'll we'll talk about a lot of different things today. Uh, I've got a lot of different things on the list to talk about, and a lot of things have been happening this week, and a lot of things are going to happen this next week, because it's the uh, annual Bernie Bush Festival. Uh, they're going to be doing something on the West Coast. Uh, they're still figuring out exactly what they're going to do in the New York area. Of course, you could do something down in Texas or in Australia or whatever. And then we could post what you do on uh, on the Burning Bush Festival website to show that people are doing things all around the country and all around the world. And now we know that a lot of people are doing all kinds of things around the world. There were curfews set in the Punjab area. There's uh, there's uh, heavy per- Christian persecution in some areas because of the uh, the advancement of the Muslim uh, Brotherhood. I'll I'll use that. The the extremist Muslims are uh, persecuting people who think they are Christians. And many of these Christians have values that are very important uh, to society. But are they really Christians? Are they perfected in Christ? Are they doing what Christ said? I, I got an email from somebody who was talking about, unless you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I don't know. He had using Yah and Yahshua and, and uh, Hebrew terms. It doesn't matter whether you keep the Ten Commandments or not. Uh, Ten Commandments mean nothing. It's only if you believe that Jesus is da 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 da. Well, whatever Jesus is, Satan probably believes that too, except for the fact that Satan doesn't keep the Ten Commandments <laughs> because he doesn't love Jesus. He believes that Jesus is who Jesus is. He just doesn't love Jesus. And is if you love Jesus, you will keep his commandments. The thing is, you can't keep the commandments by your own will. But if you actually love the real Jesus, not the fake Jesus that a lot of churches are holding up and talking about, but the real whole Jesus, you will keep the commandments. You just will do it. And if you're not keeping the commandments, then we know you don't really love Jesus. And you don't really believe in Jesus because belief in Jesus is not just a thought or an idea. Belief in Jesus, belief in Christ, the anointing of God, belief in that is a conviction. It's It makes you do things. You're not free. Your belief binds you. But you... You have the choice to believe or not to believe. Once you make that choice, it controls forever. It will control your destiny. <laughs> but if you if you make a choice for the dark side, forever it will control your destiny. Uh, and that, where do you make that choice? It's not a choice you make while sitting in the tree of knowledge. It is a a 
choice you make while sitting at the feet of the tree of life. Unfortunately, most people have climbed up into the tree of knowledge and they that and one of the culprits is the quote study to show thyself approved and the problem is is the word that we see there translated study is not translated study anywhere else in the bible it is normally translated be diligent to show thyself approved be diligent in what be diligent in keeping the commandments <laughs> Oh, we're back to keeping the commandments. Oh, but we don't have to do anything. We just have to think a thought. Because most people think believing something is thinking a thought. And repeating that thought with enthusiasm and uh, determination and will power. You believe, you believe, you believe, you believe. But belief is not thinking a thought. Belief is a conviction. It is a controlling element of your personality. You just can't do anything. You have to do it this way. I remember the conversation that Huck Finn is having with himself about helping Jim escape to find his family, escape to freedom. And he knows by what he's been taught, what he believes to be true, what the ideas in his head, it's not really belief, it's the ideas in his head, tell him that you have to turn Jim back in as a slave. And uh, you can't help him find his family. Because to help Jim would be... A dirty, low-down, abolitionist thing to do. That's the ideas in his head. But he can't remain loyal to the ideas in his head because something in his heart says, I guess I'm just a low-down, good-for-nothing abolitionist because I'm going to help Jim find his family, get to his family. What he was doing was following the belief in his heart, in his soul, and disregarding the ideas in his head. He was climbing down out of the tree of knowledge and he was going to follow his heart, his soul, his mind. Because in his heart and soul and mind, it was written that I must help Jim. I must betray the ideas that I have accepted in my head and remain faithful to my soul. As Shakespeare says, every man's soul is his own. And ultimately, you must follow the leading of the spirit that dwelleth in you. But what spirit do you want to dwell in you? This week... uh, my uh, daughter-in-law and son-in-law, uh, my daughter and my son-in-law and my grandkids all came back from symbiosis. They did not go to symbiosis to do anything but make money <laughs> because they they set up what was uh, called Yurt Village and it catered to people. They were, it was like $1,000 a night, I think, or something to stay in a yurt there and people were paying it. 
And there was a lot of things that symbiosis isn't as bad as Burning Man, but it's not much better. Different brand of dust. You got clay dust instead of alkali dust. But uh, uh, it was really kind of a mess at symbiosis from our point of view. Other people probably thought it was a great rave and a wonderful thing. Uh, uh, somebody was had gone down to the mud pits where all these guys were rolling around in the mud, covering themselves with the mud, clay along the river, I guess, or something, and uh, saying, oh, it's really good because the mud draws the poisons out of your pores and all this stuff. Well, you're rolling in the mud with thousands of other people that you don't know where they've been. <laughs> so how do you know that you're not picking up poisons? Because... <laughs> That's the same mud that somebody else rolled in yesterday. <laughs> but, you know, pigs don't mind that kind of... The pigs love to get down into the mud <laughs> with other pigs. And so I'm not sure really that they, it was as wonderful as they think. People have a lot of ideas. And, and the impression my daughter had was that she just saw so many lost people. She saw people actually becoming childlike. Uh, you know, you had the beat of the rave music, thump, 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 you know, just pounded to the ground, you know, thousands. There was supposed to be 30,000 people there. It, just to give you an idea of what the motivation is for the people who put on this uh, event, Symbiosis. And I, I don't know exactly what their motivation was, but uh, they get into trouble almost everywhere they go. But... Uh, they had a permit for 30,000 people to come there during the eclipse and uh, 5,000 employees to uh, maintain. They had security people. Uh, security people were charged with crimes. Uh, security people resigned. Uh, I think 80 of them resigned or something in protest. Uh, you know, I mean, there were a lot of decent people running around trying to do things, but... Uh, it, it's you can imagine where you have a field and suddenly you bring in 30,000, 35,000 people. Well, the problem was they brought in a lot more than that. The estimates went as high as 80,000 people. There was like $15 million collected in extra parking fees above and beyond the 35,000 people. Because of all the influx of people coming and looking for a place to park and watch the eclipse. And uh, listen to the wild music. And uh, I mean, there were people walking around with suitcases full of drugs. And just opening them up and selling them openly. So, there's a wide variety of reasons why people go there. And there's a... If you believe in a collective consciousness, which... Uh, Actually, I could tell you a lot about uh, some people who, uh, they talk about morphic resonance. Uh, Rupert uh, Sheldrake, who is controversial to say the least, and I don't agree with everything that he says, but there is some interesting, I mean, if you look around at the people who criticize him, and, and scientifically he really lacks a lot of... Um, evidence on his side but it's he does have some interesting observations which are something that somebody could actually calculate up 
he addresses a lot of things that in the modern science that really needed addressing that are just like the Ten Commandments of modern science. And uh, it's like the, what do they call it, the Ten Essentials of the scientific approach. Everything is essentially mechanical. All matter is unconscious. Um, the total amount of matter and energy is always the same. The laws of nature are fixed. Uh, nature is purposeless and evolution has no goal or direction, which is, to me, that I just see that as you actually think that. You actually believe that nature has no purpose, that there is no goal. There is no, what they're saying is there is no intelligent design. That everything is just coincidence and comes about. It's just random. And uh, and I just don't see that. I see patterns. And I see patterns throughout nature. And throughout mankind. And throughout, you know, the universe. I mean, and the patterns repeat themselves over and over again. And the Ten Commandments is actually an example of... Of those patterns. But unfortunately what people do is they look at the Ten Commandments and then they try to itemize it like a shopping list. Instead of see the precept upon precept. The pattern upon pattern. And nature is not purposeless. It has a purpose. And uh, whether you want to call it evolution or the, the life processes, it has a goal and a direction. They talk about all biology and inheritance is is material carried on in genetic material and DNA and in other material structures. That biology is inheritance. It's physical. Again, that's what they're going back to, accepting that all these chemicals are just chemicals and there is no other influence upon them. At the same time, they're spending millions and millions of dollars to uh, billions of dollars, ultimately, in, in trying to find the, you know, the the boson, the the missing link between us and matter, the, because they see energy popping from other dimensions and they can't figure out what what that energy, where it's coming from. So they have this whole string theory, which is. Fairly accurate, in my opinion, but the uh, there's more to it than just, you know, the membrane or string theory. But things are connected. And if things are connected, that's where that connection, those the, the patterns of those connections gives purpose to creation. So, who created those patterns? Where did they come from? Why patterns? If everything is random, I mean, there shouldn't be any consistent laws of physics. But yet there are. And there, it's, it's amazing the levels of which you can find these laws repeating themselves. But you have to think in a more abstract way. And this is one of the problems with science. Is they look at, they look at the universe through this shopping list mentality where everything can be you know cataloged and categorized and put into slots because they're they're juggling information as items 
rather than seeing them from a more abstract viewpoint. They talk about the Oriental mind and but in many times we've talked about like the Hebrew language is full of symbols and that's what words are. Words are symbols of ideas. They're they actually every Hebrew word has an abstract meaning as well as that shopping list meaning, that physical identifiable this is a kidney. And we take this kidney and put it over here and we call it a kidney. But the kidney also, the same word for kidney means reins of control. The power to control something. To to possess that thing for control purposes. But it also means kidney. And of course, you know, like, it's interesting, there's, there's a course on learning memorization where you, you memorize, wrote memorize, a big long list of objects. And I don't know exactly how it all works. I've had it kind of explained to me. But you have this long list of objects. And now people can give you names of people. You introduce these people one after another. And what you do is you form a mental image of that person with the item in this list. And now you can repeat back all these names because you've attached, you've connected this rote list, this shopping list list, with the identity of people and their names. And you've drawn a picture and then that picture, you've related the abstract with the uh, with the physical list. And so that allows you to memorize long lists of introductions to people or there's other things you can use this memorization technique for. But you you start with this rote list of physical objects. It's kind of like when I was showing my kids the flashcards. One of our children, he he could not get the abstract idea of an A. An A wasn't a thing. It's, it, it represents, it's a symbol, but what's an A? Other than that, just that little picture. But he could remember that on the back of the card, where the A was, there was an apple. So when you would hold up the card showing him the A, he would see an apple. When you hold up the card with an L, he would see a lion. And he would call an L a lion. He wouldn't call an L an L. Because what's an L? But a lion, I know what a lion is. Because that's a thing. So his brain just worked that way. Well, he happens to be the most mechanically inclined child in the family. He can watch a machine that is operating at unbelievable speeds... And see all the processes of that machine. All the mechanical processes of that machine in operation. My brain doesn't work that way. I see the abstract. I, I, think, I don't think in words. I think in ideas. So everybody has this different way of seeing reality. They, they see a portion of reality through their eyes. Now, what what does this all have to do with, uh, you know, the kingdom of God and uh, and symbiosis? The the what what is? Do you know what symbiosis even means? The word symbiosis 
if you were to look it up, uh, it actually talks about interaction between two different organisms living in close physical association, typically to the advantage of both. It doesn't say required. It says typically to the advantage of both. Mutually beneficial relationship between different people or groups. Well, let's go back to that collider who's looking for why are these bits of energy coming from these other realms and then going back into these other realms. What what realm are they going into? How many realms are there? String theory says there are all kinds of realms. There could be multiple realms. Well, the Bible tells you there's multiple realms. Jesus tells you that in his Father's house there are many mansions. Uh, What does that mean? Does that mean multiple realms of existence? And what are some of these realms called? Well, according to the Bible, one of these realms is called hell. And another of these realms is called heaven. And then they talk about the third heaven. So are there multiple heavens? Are there layers of heavens? I don't know. We could create a whole religion out of this. <laughs> These few lines, we could invent a religion and everybody and draw big fancy pictures. Well, there's this hell and then there's earth and then there's heaven up here and then there's this super heaven up here. You know, you could create all kinds of ideas, but that's all over there in the tree of knowledge. Let's just stay with the general concept that there are multiple realms. Well, you live together with those other realms because they're right here. They're just on this in this other dimension, according to the string theory and membrane theory, that these are occupying literally the same space, but in different dimensions. So are you getting closer to the hell realm or are you getting closer to the heaven realm? What draws you to the heaven realm and what draws you to the hell realm? And do you want to go to hell (laughs) or do you want to go to heaven? Well, these are questions that come up in religious communities, but we have no idea what these things really are like because Jesus almost never even talks about them. Very seldom. But Do you want to have symbiosis with heaven? Or do you want to have symbiosis with hell? Do you want to live together with those of heaven? Or live together with those of hell? Well, we'll answer that when we come back to Keys to the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys to the Kingdom. I guess we're talking about symbiosis in the kingdom of God. And uh, I'm relating this to the big event uh, up in um, Central Oregon that uh, where they had this 
a music concert called Symbiosis. They used to have it in California, and they kind of got kicked out of California, so they came up here. And they spent millions of dollars renting this land, uh, bulldozers, putting in roads, setting it all up so that they could have this huge festival there. And uh, figured they'd get 30,000 people and had a permit for that. And so that'd be 35,000 total with the, the personnel required to run it. So they, they have big bucks that they put into this. But like I said, the because of the huge influx of people coming up from California and down from Washington and Montana and all over the place, most many were... Somebody told me that 80% of the license plates were from California. And now a lot of those people have just turned around and they're headed down to Burning Man. <laughs> I passed all kinds of them on the highway last night. And, and I mean, it's just this line of traffic going south towards Burning Man, which they're now going to mingle their clay dust with the alkali dust of uh, Burning Man. And these are huge events. I mean... 50,000 people will show up at Burning Man. And at $400 a head, you can do the math yourself. But the reality is some people pay far more than $400 to go there, but they get more services. They get different kind of treatment. I mean, people will spend tens of thousands of dollars at these events. And uh, it's it's bizarre. But... Uh, they they do this and but let's talk about symbiosis because i was telling you a little bit about the definition of symbiosis and uh, there's actually three different types of symbiosis and, and that's really kind of important to understand when you're dealing with uh, the these things that we're talking about is to understand the different types of symbiosis and mutualism is one of the most common that people think of when they talk about symbiosis, where there are two different organisms, you know, completely different organisms, living together to the benefit of both of them. That's called mutualism. And that's symbiosis. That's a form of symbiosis. And now mutualism might suggest ideas like communism and socialism. But those are actually very bad forms of mutualism from a uh, social point of view. And we can show you why. And we do show you why on many of our web pages. But let's stick to the three different types. Because there's also what they call commensalism. And that's only one of the species benefits from this mutual association, this symbiotic relationship. While the other is neither helped nor harmed. It's just, it's just part of the process. It's not really benefiting from it, but it's not really harmed, but they're both necessary. And we could look at lots of different examples of that all the time. You know, we see uh, different kinds of animals living amongst the sheep and amongst the cattle. And it actually benefits them because they work as alarm systems. The birds may see, you know, a coyote or a bobcat come into the field and it's startled by that, but it sends an alarm to the sheep. But it together they don't actually benefit each other, but they just sort of have a relationship. 
in this symbiotic ecosystem. You can see also relationships like bees and flowers. Well, many of the flowers are benefited by the bees because of the fact that they assist in pollination. But at the same time, the bees assist because they consume the pollen as well as nectar from the plant. And then they can go make honey. Well, we live with bees and we can derive an advantage to living with bees because we can take some of the honey. But we can also offer protection to the bees. So all these things are symbiotic relationships. And uh, a herdsman uh, who has cattle or sheep, he has a symbiotic relationship with the sheep. The sheep would die out if he did not exist. If he didn't provide them with hay in the wintertime, protection year-round, help them survive, they would die out. The, The carnivores and the elements would they would not survive. So because the shepherd is part of the life of the herd in this symbiotic relationship, the herd lives. And because of that, the herd will support the shepherd. And the shepherd lives. That's a symbiotic relationship. Now, if you went out to the symbiosis and you walked amongst them, uh, in say sheepskins and uh, goatskins and uh, sheep crook, uh, which I might try next year. That might be interesting. <laughs> and you would have all these vegetarians, because many of these people are vegetarians, saying, "Oh, you you kill animals so that you can survive." And I would have to say, "Well, yes, because I have a symbiotic relationship. I'm practicing symbiosis." <laughs> And they're all at the symbiosis event. So they would have to say, what? <laughs> say what? <laughs> so anyway, this uh, these examples of symbiosis uh, are all around us. Like I say, commensalism and mutualism. There's another form of symbiosis that a lot of people don't want to talk about. And they probably would not be a good advertising uh, element of the symbiosis uh gatherings and that is parasitism <laughs> that's the relationship of parasite and, and symbiosis the this uh, parasitical relationship which is one organism the parasite gains while the other hosts suffer <laughs> so <laughs> and of course we saw a great deal of that at the symbiosis. Because uh, a lot of these people... And and they don't know that they're suffering. I mean, we have a webpage up on parasites. And it's just... And it has some videos there. Some TED Talks and stuff. It's amazing what parasites do. They actually dissect a part of the brain of like a cockroach. So that the cockroach will literally allow the young of that uh, wasp to eat it, devour it. It will protect the wasp eggs and then, but while it's still alive, and the wasp can literally lead it around because it is it is injected part of its brain so that it doesn't have any self-preservation anymore. 
and the wasp can lead this cockroach around and take it over and lay eggs there. I think they actually lay eggs in the cockroach. When the the eggs finally hatch out, they devour the cockroach. And he is absolutely cooperative to this. It's absolutely okay with him. (laughs) But don't worry, folks. That's symbiosis. That's that's what it's doing. It's eating the cockroach. It's devouring it. It's, it poisons its mind so that it has no self-defense. And then it allows its young to devour the cockroach. It does. There are other parasites that do the same thing with worms. And, the, and they, they poison their brain. So they have no natural preservation for themselves. And allows the parasites to literally devour the, uh, and the, the, the victim is absolutely okay with that. You know, I'm sure they feel that they're being devoured, but they don't stop. They don't resist. They allow themselves to be devoured by the parasite. And that's okay because they're, their minds have been numbed or poisoned. I mean, literally, the wasp sticks his stinger in and goes only to a certain part of the brain because, see, if you poison the whole brain, the the cockroach would die. And, the, and, he, and the, the wasp needs the cockroach to live because it wants its young to be able to eat this animated, flat, fresh meat of the cockroach. Now, that's amazing That's that... Uh, that nature has invented such complex... How did the first wasp know I have to stick my stinger into only this part of the brain and only put enough poison in to kill the part of the brain where self-preservation goes on so that I can now grab a hold of the feeler of this cockroach would normally take off and run and just lead it to my nest alive so that my young can devour it when their eggs hatch out i mean that that's a complicated thing to come about simply by the coincidence of chemicals and evolution through interaction of non-intelligent design just coincidence they just you know one wasp just suddenly decided why don't i stick my stinger up through his mantle, through into the back of his brain, and only go to this spot, and I wonder what will happen. (laughs) Well, how did that wasp reproduce before this? How did it even survive uh, to that point where it develops this highly complex way of reproducing? Because it it can't reproduce. Its larva will not survive Unless it has a host to feed on. So how did it know how to get that host to feed on? Just random chemical reactions until this all worked out. Wow, that's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. And you think religion is superstition. (laughs) You just look out into nature and you see... This is a, this is amazing, absolutely astounding. But parasiti- parasitism 
is symbiosis. It's a form of symbiosis. I mean, let's go back to, they had a permit for 30,000 visitors. They had a permit for 5,000 employees. That's 35,000 total. They estimate between 60 and 80,000 people showed up in this, I don't know how many acres it was, but it wasn't really a gigantic place. I mean, uh, the church here has more acreage. It's out in the middle of nowhere. But uh, one of the things I thought was interesting, they drilled several wells and they ran out of water. They couldn't keep giving showers because they ran out of water. Now, you know, a lot of people don't realize that when you bring all these organisms together, that there is a danger of passing. You know, there are parasites that actually develop. There are parasites on parasites, on parasites. There are actually parasites have parasites. Did you know that? <laughs> I mean, rats have a parasite called a flea. And the flea lives on the rat. Well, on the flea, there's something that is like almost a microorganism that lives on the flea. And that poisons the flea and kills the flea. But that little microorganism is also, we call it bubonic plague. <laughs> so if the flea bites you, you may get the viral parasite. I don't know if it's viral bacteria, but uh I have to look that up. But anyway, it's a microparasite. But it's, it, and actually if you see it, I mean, it, it's actually, it, there's an actual uh, mite parasite that lives on the flea. I mean, it actually, you know, like got legs and stuff. And in that is this uh, disease we call bubonic plague. But it it carries that plague from flea to flea. And then the flea rides around on the backs of rats until it gets off and bites you and then you get bubonic plague. So, it's parasites of parasites of parasites. <laughs> but it's okay. It's all symbiosis. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, all these people gathering at the symbiosis deal and you had this extra 30,000, 40,000 people each paying $380 for parking as they came in. You know, they're swiping their cards. So they have this place to park where there's live music and you can go up and buy beer for, what was it, $10 a bottle or something or $6 a bottle for a beer. And uh, I don't know what the drugs are going for, but there are a lot of money changing hands. <laughs> and uh, that's $15 million. Just extra over what they originally were figuring on uh, making and collecting that these guys walked away with millions and millions of dollars while a lot of other people walked away broke <laughs> no money dirty dusty may have picked up a disease or two certainly had many hangovers <laughs> and uh, those that could remember uh, think they had a good time <laughs> and I, I don't know that at best, that's commensalism. At worst, it's parasitism. <laughs> but it's all symbiosis. So anyway, I had an email this morning. I saw it actually went out on several different groups. Um, 
and it comes from somebody I know who's in the network, and uh, they were asking, and, you know, I've been t- talking to them for a long time about the network, and I, I want to let you know that everybody should be a part of the network, and the network is just email groups based on geography, and uh, uh, you get on, you know, like the Oregon group, and it'll include Washington Idaho, and you can communicate with other people on the Oregon Washington, Idaho, I guess it may even include Montana groups. And you can be on more than one group and communicate with these people. There's a purpose to the network, which is to actually create a living network. So if you're not, if you join that network and you don't join a congregation, you're not on the living network. You're just on an email network. And I can send messages and others can send messages to all the congregations and share information. Of course, we do this by several means because of the fact that we're organizing in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. One of the oldest forms of free governments in existence was used by the Teutons and the Israelites and the early church. And what you do is I can communicate with ten ministers and they can communicate with a hundred people. Because they serve ten families, which it could actually, ten families could be a hundred people. But if you had ten ministers serving ten families, that could be thousands of people. Now the question is, there's actually two questions here that we can bring up. Do these congregations have a symbiosis relationship? And if the answer is yes, then we have another question. The next question which kind of symbiosis relationship is it? <laughs> is it uh, mutualism? Is it uh, commensalism? Is it parasitism? Uh, are they a bunch of parasites? <laughs> so, and you want those questions answered. But the only way you can find out the answer is to actually enter into congregations and start going in the relationship of a symbiotic relationship. But anyway, in this email they asked, where are the safe houses? The storm is raging in Texas, and they're expecting 30 to 40 inches of rain in parts of Texas. I I used to live in Houston. I lived there during Hurricane Carla and other hurricanes. And we had water lapping into our house. And uh, the people across the street, they had water standing in their house. It was over... One of them had a sunken living room, which they thought was really beautiful and elaborate and very proud of it until it was about two feet deep in water. <laughs> then they thought, maybe we should have had a raised living room. <laughs> and, you know, we had snakes coming in everywhere. I grew up, there were water moccasins, copperheads, coral snakes, rattlesnakes, scorpions, and even occasionally poisonous tarantulas because they would come in from South America. They wouldn't live. Most of them, I think, would die out, but I don't know. They might still be living there. There are no real poisonous tarantulas normally naturally living in the United States. But because of the banana boats, poisonous tarantulas did come up from South America. I don't know if they survived because it does freeze in Texas from time to time, but, you know, they could maybe find someplace... There are palm trees down there, so they could maybe survive. But anyway, uh, so I'm familiar with, you know, the flatlands of uh, Houston and what kind of 
you know, what 40 inches of rain can do and flooding that it could cause. And anyway, this individual asks, where are the safe houses? The storm is raging in Texas. Some cities there is uh, mandated curfews in effect tonight. Many people think they are seeing a war somewhere off in the distant lands. There's already war, a clash of minds going on right here, wherever you are. People are drawing lines and dividing from each other, busy finding their favorite themed group. And uh, anyway, it goes on. And maybe some really love one another, but what will we do when calamity hits, be it a storm or some other unrest of society? And and you can go down a long list of events that are happening worldwide. And we see it because we have a worldwide network. I mean, in India, they had curfew in uh, seven districts in uh, Punjab. And, I mean, people were... I mean, it was a danger of the, the old hacking and deaths uh, of people. There was a, a rape trial and the verdict came out and people started rioting because they didn't like the verdict. I mean... India, because of its class system, where you could you supposedly care about the people in your class, but the people in the other lower classes, you don't care about them. And that's built into the system. And you have a class system in England as well. And you'll see the same byproduct of that class system uh, where, you know, you, you're the rich or you're, you know, racism is a form of class system, you know. I'm white, so I'm better, or I'm black, so I'm better, because all whites are racist, and blacks can't be racist. And But it's all the same thing. It's causing these divisions in society. And Christ was breaking down those divisions. He was going over and talking to Samaritan women at the well. He was talking about the good Samaritan, and... Samaritans was a lower class. And Israel didn't like Samaritans. They were dogs of society. But Jesus crossed those boundaries and communicated across those. I mean, uh, it's very clear that some of the apostles were very uh, uh, chauvinist towards women at first. But then that was reversed. And, of course, the whole idea of going out and preaching to the Gentiles, to the other nations... Is part of that classism. We're better because we're Israelites. But Israelites are supposed to be priests to all nations. And then, of course, when you understand what a priest is, they are to be servants to all nations in a charitable way, which is all about the red heifer and everything. But really what all this is about is you coming into conformity to the idea of caring about others as much as you care about yourself. Whenever you see in society classism there or racism or any of these other things, you're saying, we don't care about your group as much as we care about our group. We see this with Antifa today. I mean, they're talking about white supremacist hate groups over here, but they're, if you listen to them and watch them, they're dispewing hate and anger and resentment. They are the fascists, even though they call themselves anti-fascists, Antifa. But they are the fascists. But this all comes from a symbiotic relationship that is parasitical in society. And we're, now we're going to connect the dots on this in the next 
program. So stay tuned to Keys of the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're dealing with some technical difficulties. So, uh, but if you if you do want to learn more about parasites, which are a symbiotic relationship, it's organisms living together at the expense of one <laughs> and the benefit of others. Uh, you can look up Ed Yong, Y O N G, uh, and or parasites on preparingyou.com. And uh, we have a 13-minute video there of him talking about it. It's, it's humorous. It's kind of uh, amazing, uh, maybe even a little bit uh, spooky. I mean, he talks about the Toxoplasma gondii, which is a parasite that is produced in the intestines of only female cats and then passes through the into the environment through their feces and then affects uh, mice so that mice lose their fear of cats <laughs> so that the cat can eat the mice. And so, I mean, it's actually using this, you know, something that is grown in its intestines. Now, this is not, this is not just accidental chemistry. This is, there's a motive to all this. And they talk about zombie um, uh, roaches, which are, you know, like I said, where the roach is, his brain is actually, a specific part of the brain is actually numb by chemicals, you know, drugs. <laughs> and then, then they allow themselves to be used, even devoured, for the benefit of others. And it's okay, because it's symbiosis. This is what symbiosis is doing. And uh, so you you go to a place like this, and I mean, maybe this is a great place for a minister, a real minister of Christ to go. Not these Bible-thumping, put-in-hand pastors that we see out there that are actually practicing parasitic symbiosis on you. They get you to come to the church. They get you to feel good. And they deliver you into the hands of the pharaohs and nimrods of the world and that where you you are literally this your soul and substance is eaten out by them and of course then the church is making you feel good so you go back to them like a drug religion is religion can be the opiate of the people which is amazing that this you know that what I think that came out of was that Lenin or was that Mao or I suppose Mao said it because he's quoting somebody else. But uh, religion is the opiate of the people as it, as religion appears today because it drugs you. It makes you think you're saved. You're okay. 
while you're actually feeding the parasite with the very substance of your being. Because you have had a poison of a poison injected into your mind, which you think is truth, which is actually a lie. You have been seduced into believing a lie. You are in symbiosis with a parasite, and, and this is and we we use phrases like you know wolves in sheep clothing, and uh, uh, they're self righteous as can be. But they are not really preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Because in the gospel of the kingdom, I mean, God God created man and he took his power to exercise authority over whatever he creates. I mean, he made man. He could tell man what to do and what not to do, right? But he actually gives life to man, gives choice to man. And if man chooses, he can become this, you know, this prodigal son where he becomes literally lost to, you know, what does prodigal mean? It says sending money or resources freely and recklessly, wastefully, extravagantly, having giving something on a lavish scale. Prodigal son gave away his life to his masters and became this, you know, working in this pig farm. He he thought he was going to have freedom and liberty, where he could go and uh, and uh, and receive uh, and make these choices and receive freedom and liberty and all this kind of stuff. But he actually sold himself into bondage. That's what a prodigal is. A person who spends money in a reckless, extravagant way. And, um, you know, it comes from um, a Latin word that actually means lavish. And you have a life. You have talents. And you spend them to get what you think is your freedom. But you actually may be purchasing your own tomb your own death and being drawn into a symbiotic relationship where you are the host of a parasite that eats you out. Now, if you want to have life more abundant, you have to be like God. God gives up his life so that you may have choice. You may have life. You may live in the garden. He gives all this to us. He gives us the earth. And says, dress it and keep it. Eat of the tree of life, though. In other words, be like me. Give life. Lay down your life so that you may pick up your life and have life more abundant. But the parasite doesn't lay down his life. He takes your life. He devours your life. Now, if we live in multiple realms, multiple uh, dimensions... In some dimensions, you know, there's order in hell. Order, uh, hell is not chaos. Satan wants order. He has a hierarchy of control and command. He wants the people to march in a straight line, goose stepping all the way to the beat of his drum. 
He doesn't want to give you too much choice. He wants to reserve choice because he thinks he gives everybody choice. There's chaos. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he works in a lot of different ways. I mean, when you see places like symbiosis, one of the things that uh, my daughter was observing is that some people became like little children. You know, they're out playing with hula hoops and they're, they're just being children. And like I say, the you know, the beat of the drums supplies the heartbeat. I mean, it's like going back to the womb. And when you're in the womb, if you if you if you put a you know a stethoscope up to uh, a pregnant woman's belly and you listen, you hear swishing as the liquid moves around. You hear the beat of the child's heart, but you hear this other beat that is vibrating through the whole uh, realm in which that child is living, and it's the beat of the woman's heart. And when a baby's born, you put it on the mother's stomach because the first thing that's going to start hearing is the heartbeat of the mother, and it, that gives it a sense of security. Well, that's what they're doing with the symbiosis, is they're, they're taking you back and giving you the illusion of security. They're lulling you into a sense of security, to a childlike state. But then they charge you $380 parking. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, if you, anybody's waking up, there's people there to administer drugs for another price. And there's booze and there's, there's stimulation of all sorts and shapes and sizes there. But when it's done, the the millionaires will walk away with millions more. And other people will walk away with less. Less in their life. Less, you know, you only get so many heartbeats in this world. And then when your time is up, your time is up. Are you laying down your life or are you turning yourself over to parasites? Because if you lay down your life out of love, you can't just lay down your life. You have to lay down your life out of love. And that love, love is a power. Real love. I mean, my cat loves birds. And I'm sure cats, female cats, love mice. Which is why they produce a parasite that causes the inhibition of the mice to disappear so that the cat can catch the mice more easily. <laughs> and that's that, that Gandhi parasite that is a G-O-N-D-I parasite that they are producing inside the female intestines of a cat. All this, it, it's amazing. There's a whole spirit that dwells in these places, that is drawn to these places, and it becomes contagious, and these parasitic spirits get in you, and now when you go back home, you're going to carry on the programming that you picked up at the at the at this big event, this symbiosis event. Now, Israel had feasts and festivals too. What did people come to those festivals to party? Well, probably to some degree, but there had to be another purpose because that purpose dictates the directives of the spirit.
and therefore of the body. The purpose of the festivals was to organize the nation to protect it from the parasites of the world. When Israel came into Canaan, archaeologists say that it was a, generally speaking, it appears to have been a peaceful invasion. They don't find the elements of war there, even though biblically we are led to believe that there was some sort of a battle when they came into Canaan. And there probably was a battle when they came into Canaan. But was it with all the people? Or was it with the power elite? What was going on in Canaan? Canaan was a province of Egypt. The 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 rampant parasitical uh, contamination of the population because of pork, because of lack of cleanliness. Uh, people were kind of all looked like Rastafarians. That you know they were unkept. They didn't do a lot of washing. Uh, they uh, you know uh, they had dreadlocks. Kind of <laughs> was a, was around in those days. And uh, there was hardly anybody in the graves that was over 40 years old. They didn't live a long time. If the crippling agents of parasites, if parasites didn't kill them, the crippling agent of the existence of parasites in their bodies caused them to be unable to reproduce, uh, you know, produce enough to survive. And they would die out. There was not... Families were broken down. Uh, parasites were everywhere. The ground was contaminated with these parasites. Uh, people didn't wash. Along comes the Israelites. They have to wash before they eat. They have to wash before they enter your house. Uh, they are not to even associate with people that raise things like pigs, which would spread parasites. Pigs and, and waterfowl spread tremendous, you know, parasites. They weren't even to touch those people, associate with them. According to the archaeologists, that suddenly, at one point, pig bones disappeared from the diet of the people of Canaan. And what was happening is, you know, these people were in a bad way as a society. And, and you can go back through history and you can find people who are unwashed, unkempt, who have breakdown of the unity of the family, their society begins to go a particular way. I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah, we think of sodomy as the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. No, sodomy is a symptom of the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was in a time of affluence. They did not strengthen the poor. They actually weakened the poor. And how did they do that? Socialism. Nimrod was a socialist. Communist, socialist, whatever you want to call him. He was a socialist. He was taking from one class of citizen and giving to another. Now, I, I actually believe from each according to his ability and to each according to his need. I believe that that is a good idea. But only if that choice of from each is made by he who produces that which is to be shared. He must decide what to share. Somebody else, if there's a Nimrod in the picture, who gets to decide for him, that's a parasite. It's symbiosis, but it's a parasite. 
it's at best, like I say, is commensalism because he will benefit. He will live in a rich palace and he will take from you. He will get more power and he will disperse what you produce to somebody else who says they have a need. That's the second part of that. To each according to his need. But what is he need? Maybe he needs a good swift kick in the pants. Maybe he needs to get out of bed before 6 o'clock in the morning, before 7 o'clock in the morning, before 8 o'clock in the morning, before 9 o'clock in the morning and get to work. Maybe that's what he needs. He doesn't need a free handout. He needs his hand up and applied to the plow. And so, yeah, I believe in from each to each, but I believe that those decisions should be in the hands of he who produces what is to be taken. He gets to decide where it goes. That's a charitable, symbiotic relationship. And like I say, sometimes the nicest gift you can give somebody is absolutely nothing. He needs to get himself up off the ground. He gets, needs to get himself up out of the ditch and apply himself. Use the fruits of his labor. And Christ has all these parables. You know, the parable of the talent. Here's a guy who had a talent that didn't do anything with it. He's condemned. He he's has what he has received freely taken away from him. That's a principle of Christ that we need to apply. So where are the safe houses? Where are the people? Well, where are the people who love their neighbor as themselves? Not love their religion. Not love their ideas about religion. But actually love their neighbor. Well, there is no caste system. There is no class system in the kingdom of God. We seek righteousness. That's something that we need to apply ourselves too. And it requires sacrifice. You have to lay down your life to pick up your life more abundant. In John 10.15 we see, As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. By verse 17 he says, Therefore doth my Father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it Again, Peter said in, uh, according to John thirteen thirty seven, Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. So, the, the, this keeps repeating over and over again. And the very next verse, Jesus answered, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Three times. You know, in John 15, he goes on to say, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Not wastefully, but righteously. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. God has laid down his life through Christ. God laid down his life in creation. He gave us life. Why do you gather 
why do you gather at the festivals? Why do you gather in your churches? Is it to for what you can get? Or imagine you're getting? Or is it because you come to lay down your life, to share? I'm always amazed, you know, the first time we had a festival here, we footed the bill for almost everything. Almost nobody contributed anything. One fellow contributed a bag of uh, popcorn, uh, seed. That was it. He lived here. We fed him every day. Uh, we gave people shelter, houses. Some people set up their own tents, but some people we actually gave them room. We we uh, provided restrooms. We did all kinds of things for everybody. I mean, hot meals every day, three meals a day. And we got almost no donations from anybody. Only uh, two people actually gave financial donations. One one guy gave, I mean, it was like 10 bucks. I mean, we housed you in a room, private room. We fed you every day for four days. And you gave us 10 bucks. I remember Bob Holstrom would come. He'd bring his own food. You know, he wouldn't come to the festivals, but he used to come by and visit uh, we would give him and his wife a, a, a free room uh, and a private bathroom and uh, off to themselves. And they would almost always give 50 bucks, you know, donation when they were, they were leaving. I mean, they'd had to pay the same amount in a motel. And this was as nice as, as nicer than any motel around at that time. <laughs> but we didn't do it for the 50 bucks. We just We just shared. But then when we give this to the people who come to the festival, they just take and take and take and take. You know, they help a little bit sometimes, you know, prepare a meal. Uh, but even some of them didn't even do that. And then they take. Well, we realized that we, of course, we always had this problem because we wrote the book, That King, uh, uh, Covenants of the Gods First, that we were always plagued with people who hate government. I do not hate government. I love government. Even the wicked governments, they they will beat you and they will eat out your substance and they will punish you until you repent and start seeking the righteous government of God. And until you seek to become the benefactors of society who do not exercise authority, you should be under tribute. Until you seek it with your whole heart, mind, and soul, you should be under tribute because you're the slothful. It's bad enough that some of you want the benefits. But if you don't want to become the benefactors, you don't want to contribute, you don't want to strengthen the poor, then then you should be under tribute. You should be in bondage. And you are not Drawing closer to the realm of God. You are drawing closer to a realm. But it's not the realm in which the God of life dwelleth. You are drawing closer to hell. So you have to turn around and repent. And start going the other way. So there... There is a mutualism, commensalism, and parasitism in symbiosis. Which one are you closest to? You know, so, uh, another topic came up is UBI, which is universal basic income. People think that's a great thing. 
some people think that, and and they like to advocate that uh, you know Friedman and Hayek uh, supported this idea, and that that is misleading the people because they really did not support the basic uh, United uh, universal basic income. In, in the context of replacing the existing system as a stepping stone. They thought it would be good uh, to simply one one of the things that you get this universal basic income, but it's it's minimal. The idea is that you get rid of all the other giveaway programs, the freebie giveaway programs, and people have to manage that universal basic income. You know, I know people that are doing nothing to take care of their health. But they are absolutely dependent upon the government health programs. And they go to the doctor all the time. And uh, they're, you know, uh, they're actually ravaged by the medical system as well as they are ravaging the medical system itself. They are the parasites within a parasite. (laughs) Within a parasite. But anyway, if you if you, the average low income family qualifies for roughly about seventeen thousand dollars in annual benefits per year, some studies have the figure much higher, closer to thirty thousand. And in some parts of the country, that might be even necessary to even live uh, because of the cost of living. Uh, some people think that the neoliberals, uh, like I say, Milton Freeman and and others have advocated that, uh, like Freeman in his book on capitalism and freedom, uh, argues a negative income tax as a means to deliver a basic income. So that's the only thing he was talking about. But he again, he was doing it to end all the other social welfare programs. And so that you would have this one basic thing and then, but you had to implement all kinds of other deals to help drive people off of the dependency upon government. This was to wean you off. It wasn't that he thought it was a solution. But anyway, we'll be back and we'll talk a little bit more about this and, and other symbiotic relationships that are either parasitical or mutualism. So, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And the, there's a couple of things that uh, we're, we're going to try to put into perspective now that we have uh, this I, I understanding that symbiosis, people living together, organisms living together, different organisms li- living together. And we are very different. 
I think different than some of my children, and my children think different than some of their children. And uh, that difference is a good thing. You know, that's why some are better mechanics, some are more artistic, some are... And they can complement each other within a society. We don't all want to be the the same. But uh, how we go about this symbiotic relationship, it may be become parasitical in a society, or it may become uh, one-sided, or it may become mutualism. But even in mutualism, it is different. It is the, our relationship to one another, our needs are different, our relationships are different. But what is at the core of those relationships? Is it love? Is it real love? Is it cat loving a bird or cat loving a mouse? Or is it love like a mother and child and father and family, a husband and and wife, where they are mutually caring for one another, reproducing life? This is one of the amazing things about the family, which is God's government, is God's creation is that they come together, each of them giving up a part of their life to produce life more abundant. There's that principle applying again, over and over again. We see it in society. But these principles of of symbiosis, applying over and over again, there are types, like I say. Because there are husbands and wives that are, you know, I saw husband and wife working together, and I thought, that guy just yells at his wife right out in the open. I just, uh, the tone he takes. And of course he has an alcohol problem and drug problem. And uh, why does he have these things? Well, that's that's what um, we need to, in, in a minister learning to be a life coach, to be a kingdom coach, coaching us back to the righteousness of God's kingdom, which if we follow that way that Christ taught, will draw us to this realm of righteousness that we call heaven. But if we deter from that way, we go off of that way, just in this spot or that part spot, which is what the Ten Commandments is, is showing you the way. If you go off of that way, it will draw you towards the other realms. The dog-eat-dog realms. The controlling, uh, destructive realms. So when people talk about, you know, guaranteed basic income, like I said, like if you look at the 2015 U.S. Census Bureau, um, the poverty threshold would be around $12,331 for annual benefits for roughly 230 million people. That would be $2.8 trillion annually. That's just in the United States. And, of course, people want to always eliminate poverty throughout the world. Well, if you want to do that, you have to follow this other pattern of Christ. Although even he says, the poor you will have with you always. Why? Because the poor get a choice. They get to choose to use their talent or waste their talent. In looking at some uh, videos that were just posted on uh, preparing you recently uh, about homeschooling and private education. You go to India and the school's 130 kids in a classroom and nobody's teaching them anything. And you say, well, aren't there inspectors making sure that these kids are being taught? 
Well, the inspector, they admit right there that they go to the main office, they receive their bribe, they have a cup of tea, and they leave. And they don't say anything. But if you go to the private schools where somebody's just paying out, you know, a buck a month in some cases, the kids are actually learning. Because they're they're actually private schools and the parents care and the parents won't give their buck a month or whatever it is if the teachers aren't performing. And that's free market. The choice is in the hands of the people. The redistribution of the wealth is in the hands of the people. That's capitalism. And this reproduction of wealth and uh, sharing of that wealth with those who produce, who take their talent and use their talent. That's what Christ was preaching. It wasn't elect a Nimrod who will take from these guys and give to these guys because that's centralizing power. You have the power in the kingdom of God to make those choices. So if you're wondering where the safe houses are, if you're wondering where the network is, how much did you put into the network? How much did you give to the network? How much do you want to see it? How much have, of your life have you laid down? And you can lay down in this in many different ways, but don't kid yourself. God's an excellent accountant. <laughs> so we have these other people like Charles Murray, who's somewhat of a libertarian, and, uh, and he's looking at these uh, figures, and he says the first rule is uh, in dealing with the universal basic income. The first rule is that the basic guaranteed income has to replace everything. It's not an add-on. So there is no more food stamps. No more Medicaid. You just go down the whole list and none of them are left. They're all gone. Wick everything. This is their, this is why they recommend universal basic income. Under those conditions, you remove all else. Now, if, if there are other needs that the universal basic income do, does not cover, then neighborhoods and community and organizations, not civil organizations, but private organizations, will take up the slack. That means that people will have to go to church. People will have to provide. And and the people in the churches who provide have to start thinking outside of the box of handing money out a car window on the corner. Or even, you know, I knew people beat their children, beat their grandchildren, cheat on their taxes, um, Cheat on, you know, they get on disability. They plan out a fake, you know, delayed stress syndrome type event. I actually heard them planning this out so that they could get on disability. They made the whole thing up. But they go to church and the people at the church think they're great. Kids are in prison. Grandkids are in prison, rather. Their, their, their family is an absolute mess. Because the people who go to that Christian church, they don't know what it means to be a Christian. They are not, a, some of them, some of them do. Usually about 5% in a church 
will have that go back to that Huck Finn. Deep down, they say, well, this isn't right. I can't support this. I mean, they have a heck of a time just finding a minister. Because uh, they can't see with spiritual eyes. Now, the more you turn yourself over to these basic rules of Christianity, of righteousness, the more your spiritual eyes can be open, And you can just see, I'm not picking that guy. I'm not giving to that guy. You know, we wanted to do, and we just, you know, it just we don't have enough support to take the time out to do it, where we go to the cities and we show the people standing on the corner. He goes over and gets in a nicer car than you drive. Now, that isn't always the case. Some of them, they go back to their camp. You know, and Ben is one of the popular places. I got some interesting statistics on Ben. Uh, is homeless like to go to Ben because there's a wealthy class there that give to these so-called charitable organizations that will give you a new tent and new sleeping bag on a regular basis. So, you know, what they do is that these homeless people that gather in certain areas, and if it's on city property or state property, they, they've been working very hard on keeping them off those properties because what they'll do is they'll set up a bunch of tents and they'll sleep in some of them, but they'll use one as their latrine. And then the, the state has to call out a hazmat crew because they'll just abandon that, that after a while, they'll just abandon the place because it becomes such filth and disease hanging around that they'll go somewhere else in order to clean it up because they got tents full of feces you have to bring in a hazmat unit to clean all this stuff up because you don't know what's in all the other tents and so that costs over a quarter of a million dollars a year that's what they, they have budgeted for cleaning up after the homeless well now there are people who are homeless that really need help but they need real help they need to be getting off of being homeless, like the guy I said, uh, you know, who's stranded in Ben, living in his car. And I said, well, we'll help you out, but I need to be in contact with your family and other people that you know so that I can find out what you really need. Oh, no, I don't, I don't want to share any information. I, well, I, how can I give you what you really need? I could just send you 10 bucks out the car window. But I, that may not help you. That may not strengthen you as an individual. I have to deal with your problems. And they used to do that. And we, we show on uh, you know the rise of the welfare state in the article. We have videos there of guys who've gone out and, and study this and research this and find out why there are more poor people, more people on, in, in poverty today after years and years and years, 40 years of war on poverty, it were worse off today. Why is that? Because we're not doing something right. You know, Friedman even, who talks about universal basic income, if you are receiving the universal basic income, you do not have a right to vote. That's taken away from you. Otherwise, you'll be voting in benefits. Who pays in is the one who has the right to vote. I mean, originally, the Constitution said that you couldn't even vote unless you owned land. You had to actually own it. Not legal title. Own it. Legal title does not include ownership. It doesn't include the beneficial interest. But, but landed Americans owned their land. It couldn't be taxed. 
Well, if we kept that, there might be more people who own their land. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> uh, Americans have always been, this is what uh, Charles Murray says, sharing Friedman's view. Americans have always been good at providing help to people in need. It hasn't been perfect, but they've been very good at it. Those relationships have been undercut in recent years by a welfare state that has, in my view, denuded the civic culture. Now, he's using words like civic culture. And once you do it, you look up, you know, private welfare, pure religion at preparing you, you'll read articles. Christians were persecuted because they had a system of private welfare. For their people. They took care of the needy of their society through faith, hope, and charity in that perfect law of liberty. This is why in 150 AD you see uh, Justin, the apologist, writing to the emperor, telling him, This is how we do it. We meet every week, and those that have share with those that don't have enough. That's how we do it. How does Caesar do it? I take away from those I want to take away from and give to those that I want to give to. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's the way they do it. You know, it's, it's parasitical, but, and it corrupts the people. You have no right to charity because you're poor. You have a right to charity because you're the deserving poor. The deserving poor are the people who are poor through actions that are they are not responsible for. And if in part some of those actions they are responsible for, they only should get help when they're willing to repent from those actions. If they're poor because they don't get up till 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning to get to work, then they need to learn to get up earlier. If they're poor because they got hit by a truck, or they got beat up or stabbed. I mean, that was another thing that I found out so much about. There were suicide packs. There were stabbings. There were overdoses. There were uh, fights and robberies and rapes and everything going on during the eclipse. And, uh, as I mean, big suicide. I mean, whole groups of people. I mean, the FBI was running around. And they don't put some of these things into the news. Because of the fact that they don't want to encourage more of this stuff. So they've learned to keep their mouth shut about some of these things. Even though it's big news, they just don't tell the media. Because then it's plastered all over and then they, the, a couple of weeks later they'll have all kinds of more people doing some of these crazy things. Like all going to get together and jump off the same bridge. You know, they all, you know, like hold hands, they're going to jump off this bridge. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's how crazy it has gotten. I mean, you people taking drugs, uh, people getting drunk, they're already killing themselves. It's just a matter of degree how swiftly they want to kill themselves. So, you know, we have to turn around and understand what's really going on. In society. What's really driving society. And most important. What's really driving you. Do you want to feel righteous. Or you want to be righteous. 
You want life? Lay down your life. You want to get closer to God? Sacrifice. That's, that's why the word sacrifice comes from the word to draw near. It draws you near the nature of God when you lay down your life for others. Now, you must do it righteously, wisely. You don't take all your money and throw it out the window of the tallest building in town. That's not laying down your life righteously. You don't hand $10 out the window because somebody says they're poor or they have a sign that says, I'm poor, give me money. That's not righteousness. That's irresponsible. Charity must be done in a responsible way. The only way to do that is to get to know the people that you're helping. Now, sometimes, I mean, if somebody's, you know, somebody just did CPR on somebody for 12 hours. Can you imagine that? 12 hours. <laughs> somebody's got stamina. But uh, that the, the fact is, is that you have to be responsible with that way in which you lay down your life because you have to lay down your life with love. Love is not ignorance. Love is not just saying, well, I'll just give myself to this person. <laughs> I'll just let them use me any way they want because it makes me feel good to sacrifice myself. I'll get up on the altar and let them cut my heart out. <laughs> no. No. God has given you a heart and mind. Let God write upon it. You have to learn to say no and you have to learn to know when to say yes. And you cannot figure that out by eating in the tree of knowledge. You can't get that from just reading the Bible and studying it. You have to look inside your own heart, your own soul, your own mind, and you have to see where you have gone wrong. Where you have done wrong. Where you have missed the mark. You know, it's like a guy going out and target practicing with a blindfold on. You know, or the from the old movie UHF where the guy's sitting there with a Rubik's Cube and a blind man. And the blind man has the Rubik's Cube and he turns it one and he holds it up and, and the guy says, nope. And then he gets it and he turns it again and he hands it over to the other guy and the guy says, nope. And then he turns it again and he's trying to solve the Rubik's Cube just by turning. And, and it's, But he doesn't see the results of what he's doing. He's not figuring anything out. He's just randomly turning the Rubik's Cube, randomly turning it in hopes that it will eventually be organized in <laughs> the different colors. Well, that's what scientists think. There's no meaning to... Uh, you know, to the biology. There's no design. There's no plan. And that's not the case. There is a design and a plan. You have been given eyes to see. You've been given a mind to understand. You've been given ears to hear. So, hear what? Hear the patterns of God in things. I tell you, if you want to see scientific inventions, innovative inventions... Seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Uh, people are not lumbering robots. You know, organic lumbering robots. <laughs> they are not. Despite what Richard Dawkins' uh, vivid phrase. Uh, he's just jealous. 
guess he, you know. But anyway, uh, uh, we are complex mechanisms that reach both into the spiritual realm. Uh, unfortunately, much of the spiritual realm is part of our unconscious realm because we're not conscious of our spiritual existence. We're still creating ourselves in our own image. We're not allowing God to create us in His image. All matter is not unconscious. As a matter of fact, I mean, we have a consciousness and we can actually put our consciousness into objects. And uh, I don't have much time here, but... I've seen, you know, my daughter, when she was very little, she asked me, why do you get dizzy when you look up to the top of a tree? And we were standing around some Lombardi poplars out in the middle of the desert. And uh, I said, well, think about your feet. You know, look at your feet. Okay, feel your feet in your shoes. Feel them standing on the ground. Feel them solidly on the ground. While you're feeling your feet on the ground, look up to the top of the tree. But keep your feet... In your mind, the feeling of your feet in your mind. She was able to look up at the top of the tree. And I says, okay, now forget about your feet and just look at the top of the tree. Immediately, she throws out her arms and starts to fall backwards. (laughs) And she realized she got dizzy suddenly. Because she wasn't rooted. She wasn't attached to the ground. She was only in the top of the tree and the tree was moving a little bit with the wind. And... She fell over. She didn't fall all the way over, but she started to lose her balance. Well, that's what we go through life like that. We're, you know, we see this, we see this, we go over here, we go over there. We're not rooted in anything. We have to be rooted in righteousness. We have to be conscious of righteousness. In order to put down those roots into righteousness, and Jesus talks about, you know, throwing the seeds out and they don't root into good ground. Well, you're the ground that righteousness needs to root into. In order to do that, you need to see yourself. How do you see yourself? You have to be still and know. We're going to talk about this at the festival because i got some people coming that have found this new thing. He's always finding something new and everything. And I'm going to explain uh, what it is that this, this instrument of consciousness that he's putting what's really the mechanism going on here you know uh you know i could teach you meditation that would t- show you how to be still but unless you want to be still and you ke- see what happens when you're still what's in you already begins to bubble up and to go into the hearts of some people you need a hazmat suit on <laughs> because there's a lot of garbage in there but you bring in the light and you scrub out the corners. You know, I used to tease the neighbor. I says, yeah, I could baptize you, but I might have to hold you down for a couple of minutes. <laughs> because the fact is, is that you need to clean up your own act. How do you do that? How do you become conscious of your spiritual nature when you are so traumatized you won't look at it? And this is where we got to go. And we'll do this in the next program this afternoon. Till then, peace upon your house and may God be with you. God bless.
You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.